Hello, and welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, and this tumultuous week in the college sports world, we are lucky to be joined by ESPN play-by-play man Roxy Bernstein. You'll recognize his voice from countless calls of college basketball and football games, including those of the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors National Hoops broadcast, not to mention the occasional MLB game and a ton of other miscellaneous stuff. The islands are a special place for the Bay Area native, as he's annually worked the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Classic and frequently the Maui Gym Maui Invitational. Shoot, at this point he's practically a member of the Hawaii sports media. As a veteran of dozens of games called alongside the quixotic Bill Walton, he has a gift for improvisation, a necessary skill, and he's possessed of both breadth and depth. Hear what he has to say about college football's fractured response to the pandemic and the Pac-12 becoming the first conference to shut down college basketball through the new year. Here we go. All right, this week on the pod, I'm joined by Roxy Bernstein, who's a longtime college basketball and and otherwise commentator for ESPN, the Pac-12 Network, and a, what have you. Roxy Bernstein, welcome to the pod, man. Brian, thanks for having me, my friend. It's good to see your face. It was a normal occurrence, uh, at least a couple times a year, I would say, between the, the Diamond Head Classic and sometimes on Maui, right? You would come out and, and call college basketball. Uh, college basketball is one of the, the things that's kind of in the limelight right now, at least as far as you know, what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. Uh, we just saw the, the Pac-12 went ahead and canceled its non-conference games through the end of the year, in addition to obviously nixing college football. So, man, what, what's this kind of week been like for you over there in the Bay Area, I'm assuming? It stinks. It's a, it's a punch in the gut because, look, on top of making my living calling play-by-play for college basketball, college football, college baseball. I'm a fan and I love the game and I love being around the game. And because of what's going on, I'm not around the game. I don't have the college games to watch. You know, okay, we're going to get the NFL coming up. It looks like soon. Major League Baseball is going on. We've got the NBA and the NHL in their bubbles. Uh, but I really miss the atmosphere and what college athletics is all about. And it really, really is hard to swallow and tough for everybody. You feel for like us, people who make our living around this game, you feel for the kids and the student athletes that they've been working so hard to navigate and create a niche for themselves, whether it's collegiately or they, as they hope to be professional, but all these dreams are shattered. And for all of us, we're denied that opportunity to either do what we love or get to see what we love. How have you personally been riding out these last five months since March, I guess, would have been the last thing you got to call right around conference tournament time for college basketball, right? Well, it's been weird to be home this long. I'm not used to it. Um, my wife's not used to having me around this long either. She didn't sign up for this. You know, she's used to me being gone half the time. Um, so that's been an adjustment. Um, I, I've tried to stay active. And look, I'm reading, you know, stuff. 
on the topic and trying to stay as informed as I can, but also taking the opportunity to take care of myself. And look, we travel a ton, we're on the road a lot. We don't necessarily eat the best, uh, don't usually have the best opportunities to keep ourselves in shape and work out because I'm in airplanes and not rental cars, hotels. So for the last five months, I've tried to eat better. I've been exercising regularly, which is probably a shock to my system. Uh, but it's been, it's been an adjustment and to not work. Luckily I've got great employers at ESPN that are taking care of me and my contract and I'm, I'm an employee. So I'm getting paid every week, which is awesome. Um, but it's weird just not having something to do in terms of professionally. Um, I've got, I've got one of those old school calendars, right? Yeah. You write it down. Okay. Here, I'm going to be here on this date. Okay. I've got this, I've got that. There is nothing on my calendar, nothing. And the sad thing is, I mean, I think there's going to be some stuff coming up soon with major league baseball but I still don't have a thing on my calendar and I haven't had anything on there since mid-March. Yeah. So, I mean, we're in still mid August right now and right now you would normally under normal rational circumstances be calling an occasional A's game. What, what would you kind of be doing right now under normal circumstances? Doing a handful of A's games, also doing some major league baseball for ESPN radio, which is going to, I'm going to have some, I think some games coming up. And hopefully in the near future, but also Brian, this is the time I'm getting ramped up for college football right now. And I'm grinding. Look, I would have known my first three games of the season already mm -hmm. and diving into those teams and diving in just to the landscape of college football. Certainly I pay more attention to the PAC 12 than I do other leagues, just because that's the league I cover uh, for football. And, but also on reading, I would be reading stuff, getting ready for basketball, which isn't supposed to be too far down the road yeah, and keeping up with the leagues that I need to stay informed with. And I do that all the time, whether it's the PAC 12, the big West, uh, the West coast conference, uh, to an extent, the mountain West, I haven't done much mountain West hoops, mm -hmm. uh, just because they have me focus on the other leagues, which I'm cool with. Um, so it's weird doing all this research and reading yet not having a game or anything to prepare for. It sounded like I, I heard a radio spot that you did with uh, the game over there in the, the Bay area. Right. And um, it sounded like you were fully preparing or had already mentally prepared yourself, I should say for the dominoes that kind of fell this week. Is that is it a fair thing to say? Yeah, it is because it just – the stuff I was reading, Brian, and, and the way things were trending, I tried to remain hopeful that there would be a season, that we would have football and college basketball. And I'm still trying to hold, up hope, hold out hope that at some point we will have it this year. Now, the door hasn't been closed to football, but the fall it has. And could that mean we have a limited spring season – I think anything's possible to try to salvage whatever they can of the season. And with basketball, I'm just anticipating things that can get pushed back also. Could we see a scenario where it's, we're only have conference games this year and there's no mm -hmm. non-conference and everything starts maybe in January and that could lead into March madness. I, I, look, 
at this point, we'll take anything, right? We'll, we'll <laughs> yes, take we anything will. to be able to, yes, we will. to do it again. But I was resigned to the fact, and when there were little, I think, hints that I read into along the way, when the Pac-12, for example, put out there that they were looking into a loan program for their athletic departments, hmm. that signaled to me that was not good in terms of what they were thinking for the football season, that they're already taking these steps to try to help the, the different programs they have around the league. Okay. Well, so yes, the Pac-12 made, I believe, ahead of any other of the Division I men's basketball leagues, made the decision to put off its non-conference or all competition through the end of the calendar year. In the Hawaii sense and the local sense here, that means no Washington State for the season opening uh, Rainbow Classic, no Arizona State for the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Day Classic, and no Stanford for the Maui Invitational amongst countless other non-conference games the Pac-12 will be playing at all, you know, matter of places. So do, do you think, are we just a, a day or two away from other leagues announcing the same thing uh, at this point? Or it's, it's interesting because early on, it seemed like there was unity among the conferences, right? Let, take, let's go back to March. And I was sitting in Vegas at the Pac-12 tournament. I did day one, the first round. I'm getting ready to call the quarterfinals on day two, on Thursday, March 12th. Mm-hmm. And, but everything seemed to come to a grinding halt on Wednesday evening with the Rudy Gobert news that he tested positive. And then we were hearing the NBA was suspended. And then the next day, I was still planning to work because I hadn't received the call that everything was getting shut down. And then from Vegas, I was supposed to head to Anaheim where I'd probably see you at the Big West Tournament. <laughs> Possibly. So, and everything came, obviously came to a grinding halt that day. But I had a chance to talk to Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott that day. And we were talking, oddly enough, we were in the Starbucks line at a little before 7 a.m. on that day. And he was about to hop on a call with his counterparts, whether it was Greg Sankey at the SEC, Bob Bowlesby at the Big 12, and so on, the commissioners of the ACC, the, the, the Big 10. They're all on this call together. And they basically put up a decision together that they were going to halt everything. It just happened, okay, the ACC news and maybe the SEC news trickled out, but they were all doing the same thing. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of, okay, what time did it happen? And the, the Pac-12, I think, waited till 9 a.m. Pacific time to uh, suspend all activity. And But the one thing is... They were, it appeared they were all unified together. And at some point along the way, I, I, want, I, I can't say this with certainty, but it appears that relationships have disintegrated. We've hmm. seen the Pac-12 and the Big Ten in lockstep, right? They made the, the announcements basically within 24 hours of each other. Mm-hmm. And they also, I, I think, were in strong consideration of one another, okay, with forget the Rose Bowl agreement that goes back countless decades, but it just seems the fit between the two leagues for the academics and athletics are on par with each other. So you knew, okay, they would be in the same boat. But then it appears the SEC, the ACC, Big 12 were operating on different methods for whatever reason. And the medical experts they're talking to and listening to and advising them are telling them different things than the Big 10 and the Pac-12 ones are. And you'd almost hope some uniform plan but unfortunately 
They don't. It appears these leagues are going to get going. And then you may see some fracturing in terms of, okay, the Pac-12 and Big Ten might come out and say, well, we care about our student-athletes more than you do. We're trying to protect them where you look at the SEC or the ACC and the Big 12, and they're only concerned about the almighty dollar and the economic factor. Look, there, there's so much goes into this, whether it's liability. We could go on and on and on. But it's interesting to see how all of a sudden what was supposed to be a unified front has now become fractured. And I'm anxious to see how things play out here over the next few weeks. All right. All right. Fair enough. Uh, okay, Roxy, on a, a slightly brighter note, I'll, I want to ask you about yes. <laughs> you know, all this doom and gloom. Um, you know, hey, at this point, I, I feel like me personally, at least, you are kind of an honorary member of the Hawaii sports media. By extension, uh, you know, you, you've called a number of games, countless games on ESPN out here for the Diamond Egg Classic, for the Maui Invitational. Um, maybe even you, you might have even caught a, one or two of those um, – ESPN midnight games I'm I'm guessing did you do any of those when it was I think way back in the day I did yeah (laughs) (laughs) believe me you know anytime I can get over to the 808 I'm gonna do it and it just so happens my proximity being in the Bay Area lends itself to being somewhat accessible to get over whether it's to Honolulu or Maui Um, I like to refer to myself as a half a Heine you know that I, I can't be a full comma, but at least maybe I'm a half or a half a holly, whatever you want to call me. Uh, All right, sure. But I, I love being over there. I, I, and in fact, during lockdown, my brother was over on, on the Big Island for about three and a half months. <laughs> he got he wow. got over there. Literally, everything was shutting down like March 12th mm-hmm. and March 17th was when like stay-at-home orders were in, in place in California. Yep. Well, he went to he flew over to Kona March 14th, and he was there until the end of June. <laughs> well, I guess he got his. Uh, his sounds like he got his money's worth out of that stay. No uh, question. <laughs> I mean, when do you remember? Were you out here even before you know you had a chance to call any games here? Was this place already somewhere you had an affinity for? Oh yeah, I grew up with my family coming over every Christmas break. Uh, I'd be there for about two weeks with my family. And sometimes we'd make some, whether it's spring or summer trips as well. So it made it very easy. We want to throw you on the rainbow uh, or the diamond head classic. I remember it used to be the rainbow and I used to go to the rainbow Mm -hmm. as a kid. Um, But because a lot of people had, you know, reservations about being away from home during the holidays. I'm like, yep, sign me up. Let's go. And we would make the pilgrimage, the whole family, not just like my wife and kids, but my brother, mm-hmm. his wife and kids, my sister's family, uh, my dad. So, and my dad was coming for years and years, even before I was around. So we've always had that connection over to, to Hawaii. That's awesome. And yeah, I mean, you guys have, I guess, have truly made it a thing, an annual thing that, I mean, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to keep that streak going uh, this coming holiday season. Um, you we know. have reservations. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> we're trying. We're going to do our best, man. So you you alluded to the fact that maybe we'll see uh, you know a conference only edition of college hoops coming up after the the flip of the calendar year. Do you see that being necessary to have some kind of bubble situation per conference by conference? Is that even doable? Do you think like if say the Big West wanted to localize in LA or maybe a little bit up the road in Santa Barbara or something like that. Like is, 
Is that something that you think could be pulled off? I think it'd be very challenging because these are not professionals, right? The NBA, the NHL, they can do it. The MLS, we saw them do it as well. I, I just think it's awfully difficult. You're talking about college kids and around campuses. And, you know, if you're put in a bubble, it, it kind of, now granted, we're on, under unprecedented times. But I, I just don't know how rational it is to be able to do that considering, okay, if you look at the Big West, well, you got Davis, you got all the teams in California, and then you got Hawaii over there in, in Honolulu. And you're going to take them away from the campus, and everything is going to – look, there might be online learning anyways. I understand that. But there's something to be said for the campus culture and being around the community. Mm-hmm. And could – I guess it's possible you could. I just don't know how practical it would be to be able to put something like that together. Certainly more feasible than it, like doing it for college football would just, you know, it's a yeah. complete non-starter before you even get I mean, going. Look, let's say it's the Pac-12, right? And we want to put everybody in a bubble. You choose a city, right? You want to go to Phoenix. You want to go to Vegas. You want to go to LA, Bay, wherever it is, Portland, whatever you want to do. You're talking about 12 teams with – a couple of walk-ons, maybe 15 kids on each team and staff. So you're talking about essentially 30 people that would have to be in the bubble from each team, right? Somewhere around there, 30 to yeah, 35, whatever. Range, sure. Including need academic, academic staff, all that stuff. Yeah. So it is more doable in the basketball scenario, but it's still, I just don't know how practical it is. Mm-hmm. The cost, uh, there's just so many things that go into this that the NBA, they spent about $200 million to get the ESPN, Disney, Wide World of Sports facility to be able to handle this. Um, The NHL spent countless dollars, whether it's American money or Canadian money, take your pick, uh, to to be able to get two bubbles up and running in Toronto and Edmonton. I, I just... Okay, the Pac-12 wanted to go here, and you put the Big West here and the WCC. I just don't know how realistic it is to be able to think it's possible. Now, let's say they go with some kind of traditional travel model like exists, has existed to this day. Do you think it's um, financially feasible? Can there be, like, you know, daily testing leading up to games? Uh, I guess that would be the the alternative to a non-bubble situation, right? Like, to, to at least mitigate as much spread of this as you could. And, um, man, I, I just – I don't know. I, I, I mean, don't I, know. But that's, I think, Brian, part of the problem we're dealing with right now in terms of the conferences and the split between the Pac-12 and Big Ten with the other leagues is, I think, the testing issue in terms of how often are you going to test and the cost. And I guarantee you that's the reason Northern Illinois was the first program in the MAC to pull out and say, we can't do this. And then the rest of the conference all checked out. I think the financial consideration and the cost to be able to do this effectively kind of made sense of it all and hit them in the face with, with the reality that this, we can't do this. And when you have a power league, Yes, I, I think those leagues can be able to absorb it better than 
the non-Power Five or the Group of Five leagues, right? The Pac-12 more equipped in the Mountain West to be able to handle this from a financial standpoint as far as testing and being able to, to install the proper protocols. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, how realistic is it and how often can you get the testing and how often should they be tested and when should they be tested? And the medical experts and look, they have some of the foremost scientific minds trying to figure stuff out. And we're still evolving and trying to understand the virus and what they're dealing with and the effects. And just in the last couple of weeks, right, we've seen the lasting effects of studies yeah. about the heart issues that could yeah. possibly come along. So I, I think that everything is in a state of flux because there, there's so many unknowns still about what we're dealing with. Well, all right, we're going back to utopia mode real quick. Let's say everything. See, I'm <laughs> Debbie Downer today, man. I'm just bringing you down. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just teeing it up for you, man. You're, that, that is perfectly fine. Um, but we're going back to the utopia mode, let's say, at least in a, not, a conference competition sense, things somehow get to go. You've seen enough Big West over the years, recent years especially. I want to ask you about Hawaii basketball in general because, you know, the, the audience out here, of course – and what I've covered over the years. What do you think, I guess, uh, where does Hawaii fit right now in the Big West? They've kind of been mired in the middle the last few years. What, what do you think has to happen for them to maybe revert to the kind of contention that they had back in 2016 when they made that tournament run? First off, full disclosure, you know my thoughts on Aran Ganat. He and I are very friendly, and I'm a huge fan of his both professionally and personal. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Montgomery is a close friend of mine, one of his assistants. So Another you know I have an affinity built in, and I get to be around this team, if not once, maybe a few times a season. Like I got to do one of their conference games last year on an ESPN wildcard game. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'm a little biased in my feeling, but first off, I think they have tremendous leadership in this program. Even when Iran was out last year, when Chris Gerlofson stepped in, Mm-hmm. and really held everything together, and not just him, but certainly John and the rest of the staff. There's great people in this program. It's a fantastic group to be around. And, you know, I, I, I get a little swept up in a little bit of it every year, especially when they have a chance to pull off the big upset, and they've been so close in a lot of these games in the Diamond Head Classic, right? You think back over the years, whether it was – you know, the Oklahoma, I mean, just they, they've been right there. And I'm just waiting for the year they get to the championship game. Because I think, you know, Christmas night, it'll be packed. How awesome would that be? And I think not just I'm waiting for that. It could be great for ESPN, great television. Certainly Iran and his program waiting for that. David Matlin wants that worse than anybody. Um, it'd be great for the tournament if that happened. But uh, – with their position in in the Big West, it's clear that UC Irvine has established themselves as the program to beat right now. What Russell Turner has done with that program is sensational. He's found a model that fits for him. No question. But I think there is some competition, and I think the gap, which was pretty wide for a while, is now getting closer. Um, I like what I've seen, although uh, – for example, from Cal State Fullerton and what Dietrich has been able to do. I really like that program. Um, Jim Les has done some really good things at, at Davis and has had some good teams. Um, it's been a little bit inconsistent for Dan Munson at Long Beach State in recent years. 
I think David Patrick leaving Riverside, they appeared to be on the upward trend, mm-hmm. was a significant blow to that program. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a couple new programs come in with Bakersfield and San Diego entering the league. And I, I think the world of Rod Barnes as a coach and just as a person. Um, so I think they're going to be two really nice additions and they fit the league and what the league is about. But for me, be, because of the support, I think Hawaii is among the top three each year that I look at in that league. Uh, I know Ron won it in his first year and did a great job with that group and, and winning a game in the NCAA tournament, knocking off my alma mater. That's right. Uh, <laughs> That's correct. Which could have been one of the worst weeks in the history of a college basketball program for a team, considering what they had oh, to deal with that week. That was, um, God, just unmitigated now, disaster. Oh, but also now, again, full disclosure, my brother-in-law is the head coach at UC Santa Barbara, and Joe Pasternak is married to my sister. So, again, I have to, you know, put all my cards on the table. I did not but, know that, by the way. I did not know that. I try not to let people know because I don't want people to know he's in my family. Um <laughs> And I don't want anybody to think less of my sister and like, how did you marry him? But what Joe has done in Santa Barbara and rebuilding that program, considering he took over a program that won six games in Bob Williams' final season and Joe's won 20 in each of the first three years. And I think they're really poised this year. This may have been his best team coming in with some of the additions that they've made. So it's, it's disappointing because I'd love to see the season play out, but I think Hawaii is right there, certainly in the top half of the league and in a position to put themselves in the conversation to win the conference every year. And they did have quite a bit, maybe the most roster overhaul from one year to the next um, going into this season after, you know, Drew Bugs went his separate ways, transferred to Missouri, and uh, they lost a couple of the seven-footers that were at one point thought to be kind of part of the team identity. So, I mean, a lot of new faces, but, but yeah, I mean, there's some potential pieces in there I like too. And I, I would be really curious to see how, you know, they kind of ease into conference play. If knock on wood, they get to play any of those games would be, would be fantastic. But and I think the other th- guys can be tough to replace. And he didn't put up the great numbers, but from a leadership standpoint and a toughness standpoint, Zigmar's Rymo did so much for that program. He, he did and a lot. He did a lot. I, I don't think you can put a value on what he did for that group. Just, hey, give me the toughest post matchup. I don't care how big. I'll take them. And I'll be physical and I'll bang and I'll do what I got to do. I'm going to give you everything I got for 40 minutes. And, but, and also the leadership that he set by example, that this is how you need to play. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that can be overlooked as far as what he brought to that program. And for me, that could be one of the toughest things for Iran to replace. Okay, Drew Bugs moves on, and that's tough. But Webster's a kid that I think the world of, and I think his talent is off the charts. Um, so there are pieces which you alluded to, Brian, that are in place. It's just I think it's going to take some time considering the overhaul that he's got to deal with whenever we get back to basketball. No, that's a great point on Zigmar's. Big, big uh, <laughs> as much as I was allowed to be a fan in the – you know, in the in the sense that media members are, he he was a uh, a great contributor to that team and a guy I enjoyed covering him very much for sure. So that's a great point. Um, how about how about Cal Roxy? You know, I mean, you are a Cal guy. You went to Cal. You grew up in the Bay Area. You got to call Cal games, uh, basketball, football, and otherwise, right while you were there at Cal, um, and then became the full time Cal basketball broadcast guy. Uh, 
I want to say right after college, right? You were 23, yeah. 24 years old. Yeah. So I, that must be just, you know, a place that's near and dear to your heart. How have you kind of assessed these last few years of Cal basketball? They've gone through a couple of, of coaching changes from uh, Conzo Martin to, to White King Jones now to Mark Fox, right? All since that NCAA tournament appearance against Hawaii, which I believe was their most recent one. Yes. Uh, so what's kind of been your assessment of your alma mater of late, man? I like the direction the program is trending in. Um, I think Mark Fox is a terrific coach. You look at his track record, um, whether it was at Nevada or Georgia, the way he's built programs. And from what I've seen in year one and last year, they weren't the most talented team, but they were so competitive every game. And they were a very difficult out at home. Um, the, the key to winning at Cal is maybe different than other places. It, for example, you look at what Dana Altman does at Oregon and the grad transfer model, the, the quick fix that works at some places that can, that doesn't work at Cal. And Mark Fox is trying to piece this together now to be able to build the program. He's got a good starting point, Matt Bradley and a player's scheduled to become a junior, but the key you got to find those four or five year guys that are going to be program builders and the education aspect of university of California, I think is what you need to sell and how you're able to get those quality kids to come. And like Hawaii, for example, the international market is I think prominent to have success at Cal because of what the Berkeley degree could do for people. And I think that internationally, it really resonates with families. And, and it does. And you look at, okay, well, Conzo Martin was able to get Jalen Brown to come in as a freshman. Ivan Rabb, Tyrone Wallace was, uh, you know, a, a four-year player. And the likes of Jabari Bird and Jordan Matthews, these players that Cal has had recently. To me, that's a success at how you build a program at Cal. So I think Mark Fox understands that, gets it. He's trying to find some pieces that fit in now to be able to establish that. And I'm, I'm happy with the trajectory. The problem is the league is pretty darn good right now. And it's not forgiving. And there's great coaches. You look around the league and you've got people like Dana Altman, who I mentioned in Oregon, and Sean Miller at Arizona. And now you have Mick Cronin after the great run at Cincinnati at UCLA. Andy Enfield's done a really good job at USC. Tad Boyle, Larry Kraskoviak, Bobby Hurley. I mean, Wayne Tinkle. I, 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 we keep going. Mike Hopkins, and since he's come over from Washington. This is not an easy league, and I think that makes it very difficult. For a few years, the league was down. But now I think we're seeing a resurgence of Pac-12 basketball. And this was poised to me to be a year where you were looking at six, seven teams that could have gotten in the field. Really? Wow. Yeah. There's some depth to the league. You look at the talent. And that's the one thing that even in the down years, Brian, there was still talent coming through. If you look at the top of the NBA draft, there's Pac-12 guys left and right. And I mean, we saw Washington in the diamond head this past year. You know, they outplayed Hawaii, fair to say, but they had a couple of they, – they were kind of top-heavy with their, you know, the couple of pro-level prospects that they had and – yeah, it was it was fun to see him in person. I was disappointed with that crowd at the Stan Sheriff that more people didn't come out to see them in that semifinal matchup. But but yeah, no, I hear. I mean, I, I do agree that the Pac-12 is is trending back the right way after 
definitely a few down years there where, where people were talking about, are they even a multi-bid league? You know, that's, that's tough to hear for a, a, a league of that stature for sure. So, I mean, it was, it was not too long ago where the regular season champion didn't get in. And the league has come so far from that point to where they are now. I think the exposure, because for a long time, they weren't on ESPN. They had a deal with Fox and you had to really try to find the games that you had to really make an effort to watch Pac-12 basketball. And ever since the deal with ESPN, plus you have a relationship with Fox as well. And then the the forming of the Pac-12 networks where every game is available on national television. I think that has been a big plus for the league and why we've seen some of the resurgence for the conference. Good point. Good point. Well, let me take you real quick back to your formative years in the industry when you were still either a student or immediately thereafter at Cal. So would you have overlapped with the Jason Kidd era? Was that like right when you were kind of getting rolling there? What, what was that whole thing like, man? I was friendly with Jason when in school and oddly enough, he came in, his recruiting class was Jason and Jared Haas, who of course is now the coach at Stanford who would leave Cal after a year and transfer to Kansas. But there were some great players. Lamont Murray was there then. Sharif Abdul-Rahim uh, came through when I was going to school. So there was some real – Tony Gonzalez, who I, I think he did something in another sport. But he was a pretty good <laughs> – He may He have. was a pretty good yeah. basketball player. So my first year after I finished school, I was the pregame and postgame guy. And I got to fill in and did halftime as well. But I got to fill in, do play-by-play of some games – as well as, oddly enough, Ted Robinson, who I work with the Pac-12 Network, was the radio voice of Cal. So Cal goes, this is Ben Braun's first year, 1996-97 season. The year, the, the last time a West Coast team has won the national championship was when Arizona won the title. And Miles Simon, who was my broadcast partner for a lot of years mm-hmm. at ESPN. But that team... Ed Gray was the leading scorer in the conference player of the year. Breaks his foot the final weekend of the season, or the second to last weekend. And he's out for the tournament. I mean, gone. And so Cal, Ben Braun has to remake this roster. And look, had some NBA guys on it. Michael Stewart, who had a nice NBA career. Sean Marks, who's mm-hmm. now the GM of the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also had this football player named Tony Gonzalez. So Cal beats Princeton in the first round. Second round, I'm doing the games in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And because Ted was off doing baseball, so I'm calling the play-by-play. And they're playing uh, Villanova in the second round with Tim Thomas, who would go on to have a nice NBA career. Brian, he checked out of that game. He wanted no part of Tony Gonzalez. I mean, he was done. Like, I want to say he fouled out in like 12 minutes. He just, <laughs> he wanted no part. And Tony just destroyed him. I mean, chewed him up and beat him up in the game. So Cal would then win that game, go to the Sweet 16, and they would play in Syracuse against Antoine Jameson, Vince Carter, and North <laughs> Carolina. And it still breaks my heart to this day because Cal was up nine with eight minutes to go. And you're thinking, and then Louisville was waiting in the elite eight, but it was Dewan wheat at Louisville at the time who was their best player. 
who injured his ankle was going to be out. He got hurt again. They played Texas, beat him, and he got hurt. And so you basically, I'm not saying you had a buy into the <laughs> Final Four, but there was the real possibility you were going to get to go. And you you're up nine. North Carolina. To go. I'm literally thinking, let's go. This is going to be awesome. Unbelievable. Indianapolis, here we come. And this guy, Jamison, took the game over. And Cal had no answer for Antoine Jamison. But that was like my first year being involved with the commercial broadcast. And the next year, I was, I was hired full-time to be the uh, radio voice of the Cal Bears. That's quite the, uh, the rookie run you had, I guess. That's – wow. Hey, so, you know, I, I read a little bit of your backstory. You, you played multi-sports growing up. You Hoops, baseball. I think you were a pitcher. Uh, tennis, you, you had Not some. Not a very good uh, pitcher, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of those three, I mean, what, what would you say was kind of your, your go-to? Basketball was my first love. Or it, was my, it was my favorite. Um, I, was a, I was a good player. I wasn't anything special. Um, I could have played small college if I wanted to. Um, I could shoot. I couldn't guard anybody to save my life. Point guard? Uh, <laughs> I could handle the ball and pass, and I could run. And I had a high basketball IQ. Okay. <laughs> uh, but just, you know, not to toot my accolades, but my senior year in high school, I was number two in Northern California in three-pointers. Made or percentage? Made. Made. Yeah. And the number one guy was a guy that went on to University of Washington named Jason Tyrus. Um, so I, I think that's my claim to fame in basketball. But tennis was probably my best sport. Um, I burned out. I, I was a pretty good junior. I was ranked. Uh, and You still play every once in a while? I, you know, it's funny. I just got back into it. I, for <laughs> years, I just swore it off. I didn't want to play. Now that my kids are playing, I'm getting back into it. Um, I just swore it off. It, it got to the point where it wasn't fun anymore. Hmm. And it was more work than enjoyment. I would play. I mean, not to. I would play because I could beat people. That's why I play. <laughs> right. You well, know, that's maybe honest. a cynical look at it. Um, but, I, and then I'm like, this, this ain't fun. Like I got to the point where my, my junior year of high school, I told my coach, you know, coach our team and, not to too much, but I was the number one player on the team. I said, look, I don't want to practice. I don't. I'll play in the matches, and I'll, but I just don't want to practice. And he was fine with that. And, look, most of the time I'd win. Um, but I just it, it got to the point where it wasn't fun anymore, and then I just swore it off for a long time. Occasionally I would go out and hit over the years, but I finally stepped back in, jumped back in the pool maybe within the last couple of years, uh, I finally bought a new racket. I was still using my racket I used like in the early 90s. Uh, the Wilson Profile, if you remember that one, it was this big, thick, like waffle, like Belgian waffle looking thing. So I finally updated my arsenal and my equipment and get back in a little bit. Play with a buddy yesterday, play with my kids all the time. And it's more enjoyable to me now, that's for sure. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. That was my one and only sport I actually played for the high school team over at Kailua High. So I, okay. I, I can appreciate that a little bit. Um, Roxy, out of that, you know, that brew of sports and, you know, the, that competitive fire that maybe, you know, maybe you didn't enjoy what you were doing a lot of the time, but how did you kind of come out of that brew 
to do what you do for a living now? And is that something where you found the joy and just kept it with you from that point in time? I've always, Brian loved sports from a young age. And for as long as I can remember, honestly, this is what I wanted to do. Yeah, okay, yeah, I wanted to be a player, right? I wanted to be a basketball player. I wanted to go to the NBA. Or I wanted to maybe make it to Major League Baseball, go on the tennis tour. But it became in increasingly aware, uh, apparent to me that, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. So what's the next best thing I can do in being involved in the game? And I had the ability to remember things and um, the ability to, whether it's stats, whether it's background information, and the ability to relay and talk about it. So I figured this might be the best career path for me. And while I was going to school at Cal, I was doing student radio, getting to do play-by-play, whether it was football, basketball, baseball, talk shows, sports updates. I was getting that experience. And look, even as important as a Cal degree was to me, as long as I made it through, passed my classes, got my diploma, that was fine. My real learning was the hands-on experience I was getting in cutting my teeth in the broadcasting world, working at the student radio station, interning and then being hired uh, by the all sports radio station in San Francisco, interning for a TV station in Oakland, the Fox affiliate here in the Bay area. So in making contacts and learning about the business, that was probably more important to me than honestly the work in the classroom, but you had to take care of one to be able to do the other. And I'm able to do both happily and, I've never looked back. I'm ecstatic that the way things have turned out. All right. So going back to that rookie run as getting to the sweet 16 as the, uh, the fill in, I guess, broadcast guy at the time, what's, what would you say is your favorite call of all time that you've got to do ESPN or otherwise? Oh boy. Wow. Man, I've had some moments that have stood out some game winning shots. Like for example, back in the early two thousands, Cal was playing, NC State in an NCAA tournament game, Richard Midgley, it's a game-winning three. Uh, there's been stuff that, gosh, I'm trying to rack my brain now. If there's like one moment over the other. I mean, there's been some spectacular individual feats that I've seen. For example, I broadcast a game where, even though he was on the opposing team, Eddie House went for 61 points and tied the conference record for uh, points in a game against Cal. Uh, whether it's a thrilling rivalry game, I I just live for the event. And I I am so excited about the game and my preparation and getting ready for those contests, whether it is, you know, a big matchup, for example, when I did the PK 80 in Portland and I'm doing two top 10 teams, Michigan state and North Carolina with Bill Walton on national TV on ESPN or look, I don't consider them throwaway games, but a lot of people might that, Hey, there's a game buried on ESPN three. It's not even on over the air. I'm putting the same effort and preparation into every game that I do. doesn't matter what the platform is, but I'm trying to rack my brain. Like, and I know it'll probably come to me as soon as we get off the air with this, but Mm -hmm. 
Oh, if, man. if some comes for put me on the spot there you go that's what we do on the court sounds podcast <laughs> oh, no man. if it comes to you later hit me up and i'll i'll include it like as part of the outro or something oh, uh god. i'm trying to there's something like oh my god like that was fun like I, i've had some of those nights where where this is why we do what we do and yeah. do you, right now they seem to be escaping me um, I've called a no hitter at the major league okay. level, That's fun. Uh, which was pretty special to be able to do. Uh, opening who's no, days. Who's no hitter was Sanchez. that? Animal Sanchez, Sanchez with the Marlins in, was it 06? Okay. I believe it was 2006. Yeah. Um, and actually, oddly enough, I was in the dugout for the final out of that one because I went down, I'm working the partner. He's doing the play-by-play. I went down in the ninth inning to do the post-game interview, assuming he threw the no-hitter. So I'm standing in the dugout watching the final out. And still to this day, if anybody wants to go check it out on YouTube, Eric Burns was the final out. And anybody knew Eric Burns, he played like a million miles an hour with his hair on fire. If you watch the final out, it was a ground ball to Hanley Ramirez at shortstop. I'm convinced to this day that Eric Burns was safe. But there was no way the umpire was calling him out. And... It's still, I'm, it's just one of those little things. That I'm like, all right, all right, here it is. No hitter. So that was really cool to be a part of that. Oh, man. All right. All right, Roxy, well, let me ask you this. Okay. You, you, you mentioned Bill Walton there a little while ago, and you've had, at this point, numerous games that you guys have done as a team together, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. been in the, in the dozens, if not probably up to how many do you think it's usually about 15 a year 10 to 15 a year between both networks whether it's espn or the pac-12 network okay so easily over 100 at this point i would i would wager is working alongside bill walton more of an art or a science and what is your best bill moment of all time figuring out bill is a science when you see him working it's art How's that? I like that. He, there is definitely a method to his madness. And people who tune in, look, he's all over the place, right? And he's throwing out these random – they're all true. We fact-checked him one night in a broadcast, and they were all correct. His rant – you know, there's 43 bridges in the city of Portland. <laughs> I mean, he – so it's legit. Um, it took me a while to get comfortable and figure it out about – Okay, my preparation to work with Bill as opposed to whether it's like Corey Alexander, who I've been at the Diamond Head Classic with, Corey Williams, who I do a ton of games with, uh, Sean Farnham, whoever it is. My prep is different. Yes, I'm prepping for the game like I would with them, but I'm also prepping for him. And I never know which direction he's going in. Um I try to anticipate some things that he might bring up, but you never know. And, but it's fun and it keeps me on my toes. It's different. It has its challenges, but it also has its benefits as well. And I enjoy it. And there, but the one thing is when you spend time around him, you realize he's brilliant. Like he knows exactly what he's doing. Like this isn't, he's just not rambling some rambling buffoon on television. He is inciting a reaction in you at home. Whether you love him or you hate him, you have a feeling. 
there is no middle ground with Bill Walton. And I appreciate and I respect that so much. Oh, I love him. He's a legend. But <laughs> if, there's a, if there is a Roxy Bill game going, I will drop what I'm doing and, and make sure that is, that is the priority right there. But, well, hey, Roxy Bernstein, it's been a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the Court Sense podcast. Just, you know, kicking it for a little while during the ongoing COVID era and us trying to figure out what to do just a little bit a day at a time. So thanks a lot, man. You got it. Anytime, Brian. Thanks for having me.